If you haven't been with us over the last several weeks, we are doing a series that's just called You Asked For It. Um, these are messages that we've put surveys out. They're still out if you'd like to continue to give um, messages that you want to hear. And so we've been dealing with some of the areas of Scripture that are most requested by you. Um, and so two weeks ago, we talked about spiritual gifts and looking at what the Scripture teaches us about spiritual gifts and not so much just listing out the 27 gifts that are listed in the New Testament, but the why behind the reason that God gives each person spiritual gifts. Um, if you were not a part of that, you'd like to hear it, we do have a podcast now that you can go to. It's just called Radiance Church. It's on all of the major podcasting platforms. So you can go back and listen to that message. I'm not going to preach it again today. Uh, last week was a difficult one. It was Mother's Day, but because you asked for it, we talked about forgiveness. And that is one of the hardest messages to preach on, especially on Mother's Day. Um, but we got into what Scripture actually says that Jesus taught about forgiveness. And it is our forgiveness from Him is directly linked to our forgiveness for others. And we, we tend to gloss over that because we can overlook the offenses in our own life and say, Thank you, God, for your grace. But man, they hurt me and I'm not going to overlook it. And God says you can't do that. That your forgiveness that I offer you is directly linked to the forgiveness that you offer somebody else. And so we talked about that. That's also in the podcast. And so as we go into this week, we actually do an entire series on this because this is one that we deal with all the time. Dealing with difficult people. And it's addressed in scripture how we're going to deal with difficult people. And so when uh, we did this series, I think we called it From This Day Forward was the name of the series that we did. We did it earlier this year. But since you have asked for it again, I'm going to give you the overview, not the entire six weeks of series that we went through. Um, and, and look at this from the perspective that Jesus actually taught on. And it's recorded in Luke chapter 6. Um, it starts in verse 27 and following. And I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation this morning. It says, But to you who are willing to listen... I say, love your enemies. He says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If anyone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. And all of us read this, and we apply it to somebody in our life, and we um, tend to and have had it taught just a general blanket statement about loving enemies. But then we don't realize that Jesus addresses seven different characteristics of people that we are absolutely going to deal with and seven characteristics of people that are absolutely present in the room today. Yeah, I'm talking about me and you. And so I want to show you the seven characteristics that Jesus points out. I'm going to put them all on the screen this morning. He says that you're going to have haters. We've talked about this before. And he gives you a prescription for what you do when you deal with haters. What does he say? He says, do good to those who hate you. So that's a message in and of itself. But, but Jesus is clear that we're going to deal with haters. They're, ne they're negative. They're critical of everything. They constantly have something backbiting to say towards you all the time. You know people like that in your life. You probably have done that yourself to other people at certain times. 
The second one that he deals with is cursors. These cursors are literally people who are pronouncing curses. They say things about you that are not true, but what ends up happening is when they say them to you, we're not talking about the people that do it behind your back, we're talking about people that do it to you, some part of you decides that you're going to believe some part of what they said. And when he's talking about curses, he's talking about literal pronouncement of curse over you. And the only way that that sets in is if you let the devil have a foothold. And so he says that there is a way that you deal with that. The third person that he says is you're going to deal with just downright cruel people. Ever heard of a narcissist? That's who he's talking about here. They are manipulative. They are... They are just downright intentional about inflicting mental, emotional, or even physical pain upon people at every turn because they are just hateful. They're cruel. And Jesus addresses this. We just have a a more specific term for it. Now, the fourth person that he addresses in this small passage is the retaliators. They they tend to have... um, I'm going to tell on myself because this one, like, I know this is me sometimes. They always have that backhanded comment to make. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you say something, and it's always, they've got that quick little slap to slap back with, and they usually go, I'm just playing. No, you ain't. There's some truth in every word that comes out of our mouth, whether we want to claim to be playing or not. And I, look, I'm, I'm bad about this because I'm what you call quick-witted. If you throw something, I can throw it back real fast. And I don't, I don't say I'm just kidding. I'm like, I mean what I just said. Like, I know, what my, I know what my problem is, and I know that the Lord's got to work some of that stuff out in me. Then you got the fifth type of person that Jesus talks about is the advantage taker. Advantage takers are going to try to take you for everything that you have. And when you give, they're going to want more. They're going to constantly be looking for ways to do as little as possible to get as much as they can. Then you got the beggars. Beggars are not just the financially poor, which is what generally we think, but they're also mentally and emotionally poor as well. So when you've got a beggar in your life, beggars are those type of people that are going to constantly suck the life out of you. And you think that you can give to them. If it's financial issue, you give financially, and guess what? They come back needing even more. And when it's an emotional need, you give them what they need or what they think they need, and what do they do? They come back wanting even more. So you've got the beggars, then you've got the downright thieves, and this is a literal definition. They're, just, they're here to kill, steal, and destroy. They want to just take everything. They want to take your sanity. They want to take every bit of positive emotion you can have and suck the life out of you completely. They just are trying to take it all. Sounds like our kids sometimes, doesn't it? Come on, that was funny, and you know it. Because look, when we talk about some of this stuff, like what we may be tempted to do is to try to address all of these in one simple fashion. But what Jesus actually said in this passage was, when you're dealing with haters, you need to do good to those people. And if you go on and you, if you remember the series and you remember what Scripture teaches, that it actually... It's not supposed to be your motivation, but it actually burns heaping coals on them to do good to somebody who hates you. Now, if you're walking around and somebody's hating on you and you decide to do that because you're like, God's going to put them heaping coals on, it ain't going to work that way. That's not, 
the motivation behind why you're doing, it's intended for you to do good. And that's why Jesus addresses it so simply here by just making a very simple statement. Do good to those who hate you. And he doesn't give you the rest of it. It's going to hurt them. They're going to hate it. They're either going to hate it even more or they're going to love you for it and they're going to get over it. And we talked about that in the series. He says, bless those who curse you. What does it mean to bless someone? It's not necessarily giving them what they want when they curse. You are returning blessing for curse. So where someone's pronouncing a curse, you're doing the opposite and pronouncing a blessing. It's, it's more between you and the Lord than it is between you and the individual. He says, for the ones that are just cruel and hurt you, he says, pray for those who hurt you. So the, the hurtful, cruel people that we deal with, the Lord says that we should pray for them. This is the one that none of us will ever do. I, I just know we won't. If someone slaps you on the cheek, you reach back and slap them back, right? Isn't that what it says? That's not what it says. It says to offer them the other cheek. Because if this one's stinging and I get hit in this one, this one won't hurt as much, right? So it says that we're going to offer them the other cheek. It's like, well, what does that have to do? How is that going to help? them. Sometimes what God's prescription is for is not necessarily for them, but it's for us. Because this is not for, for this to cure the hater or the cursor or the cruel person. It's for us to be more and more formed in the image of Christ. And so when we, we, we take it we take it in a literal sense and we think about what God, what Jesus himself is trying to tell us in this, he's wanting us to be more like him. Because the world does exactly what the world's going to do. When it's hated on, it hates back. You see it constantly in the news media all the time. They're constantly pronouncing curses all the time. This, this group of people hates this group of people. And that group of people is against this group of people. It's all just pronouncement of curses. And it's all by one person pulling strings. And it's the devil himself. And it's working to divide among the world. But it doesn't have to do that in the church. Because we have a higher authority and a higher power that we are investing our time and our effort into. So it's not always about making the relationships better. It's about us being formed more into the image of Christ. And then as you go on, you can continue. He says, if someone demands your coat, don't just give them the coat. Give them the shirt too. I have a hard time with that as well because I'm limited on how many shirts that I have. Um, so... I would probably have a difficult time with that as well, but it's the advantage taker. And our mentality is, is that we got to call this out and we've got to deal with this. And God, and Jesus says, no, if they ask you for this, then give them more of what they are asking for. Give them more than what they asked for. Wow, that's, that's tough stuff. It says give to anyone who asks when we talk about beggars. And he says, um, don't try to get any of that stuff back. Because thieves, you're not you generally not gonna get that back. And so what I what I what we have done before is we've gone through each one of these areas and we had our message series broke into critical and uh, just all kinds of different areas because these are actually categories of people that are broke down in scripture. But I wanna kinda make this more general today because we we don't wanna deal with each area because it's not possible to do that adequ adequately in one message. Um, unfortunately, that series is not on podcast, so we may have to do it again at some other point, uh, but not today. So when we think about this in general terms, how do we deal with difficult people? This is all going to be about us. 
It is not about changing anybody else. It's about us conforming into the image of Christ. And so when we do anything, and I've told you this many times before, when I approach Scripture, I approach Scripture with so many questions. When I read, I say, okay, God, but why? And God always does what? He answers with His Word. And I say, okay, God, but why? And God says, okay, son, here's why. And He answers with His Word. And so we want to we ask ourselves questions and then have a biblical response when we ask them. And so when we're dealing with difficult people, the first thing is we need to know our why. So I have to ask myself a question anytime I'm met with issues. If I'm dealing with someone who I perceive to be difficult, why am I going to engage in this conversation? Why am I going to remain in this relationship? Why, why, why am I going to go through this process? And if we're a believer, you don't have the option to have a multitude of answers to this. We have but one answer to this. And we don't like that we have but one answer to it, but we have to conform to the image of Christ. So our why is not about us and it's not about them. Our why is strictly because God has said so. That I'm going to be a light bearer in the the image of Christ for everybody that I come in contact with. How someone responds to that is their responsibility. My responsibility is when I ask the question, do I know what my why is? Am I entering into this conversation or am I in this relationship trying to fix somebody else? We can't. Religion can't. We can dress up. We can look pretty. We can come in here with our suits and ties on, which none of you do. You still look good, though. And we can dress, you can put, you can put, what, what's the old saying? You can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. You know what I'm saying? So we can do all of those things and still be just as dirty and filthy. Jesus talked in terms like this. You whitewash tombs. You're all pretty on the outside, but you're full of dead, dry bones on the inside. And that's we, we so when we ask ourselves this question, do I know what my why is in dealing with someone who is considered difficult? And let's let me take a step back for a minute, because sometimes the most difficult person that I deal with is the person that I see in the mirror every morning. Why am I going to engage with this again? The well, scripture tells us in multiple places that we're going to experience not just. Um, difficulty, but we're going to get to a place where if we're following Jesus according to the gospel, we're going to experience actual persecution. Now, let me, I want to make sure that I contextualize that phrase because in America, you have not experienced persecution. If you've been made fun of because of your belief, that's not persecution. So don't paint it that way. Boo-hoo. You have not come in contact with someone who's willing to take your life because you say you follow Jesus. I dare say, and I'm not speaking about just us in the room, but I dare say most of the American church, if they were faced with that, would cower in fear with the kind of Christianity that we've created. And what we're being conditioned to do is to stop asking questions like this of ourselves. Why, God, am I engaging in this today? And Paul addressed something similar. He said in Philippians chapter 1 that there's going to be 
people that are going to not only give you grief, but they're going to actually proclaim the gospel, but they're going to do it in an envious way. They're going to appear to be believers, but they're puffed up like the religious leaders of Jesus' time. It didn't go away. We still deal with it today. We have people that stand on platforms every single week, and it sounds really good, but it's something wrong. And you catch it when you hear it on YouTube and on some podcast or something. You hear somebody say something, you say, you know what, that sounds really good, but there's something not right about that. I can't put my finger on it. But there's something in my spirit that says that this isn't right. God, what is it? It's because of what Paul addresses here. He says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, he says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others are doing it out of good will. So here's what I want you to see out of this. Paul addresses it here in the first statement that he makes. He says, Do you know your why? Why am I dealing with the stuff I'm dealing with and relationships that I'm dealing with? He says, some are going to do this out of envy and rivalry. So I just want to keep this going so that I can one-up the person that I'm having difficulty with. I need to be right. Paul says that's not why we do it. We do it out of goodwill because we know if they're not right, then they're on the wrong side of the gospel. If they're on the wrong side of the gospel, then they're going to hell eternity, eternally. We have to be concerned by that. He says, so others are doing it out of goodwill. Church, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be doing it out of goodwill. He says, the latter do so out of love. The word love here is actually the brotherly love that he's talking about for humanity. So you know that when we see the word love in the New Testament, there's actually three different forms of that word. The one he uses here is the brotherly love. It's not the agape love, but it's the Philadelphia phileo love. A love between brothers and sisters. We, we have that love because we know that what we are proclaiming is the true gospel. That Jesus Christ went to the cross, died for my sins, rose again, and offered me a way of salvation by his Holy Spirit. The only part that I play in any of it is, is that God made me aware of it and I said, Lord, I need it. That's how salvation works. We've created a lot of other things, but it's that simple. He says, the latter do so out of love, knowing that I, put, uh, I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But, look at what he says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Do you, did you catch that last part? That if we're actually doing this out of love, then their response, even if it feels bitter, and envious and jealous and every other word that you could come up with, that matters not. Because their response is not my why. The gospel of Jesus Christ is my why. Paul said, hey, they can blaspheme, they can blaspheme my name all they want to. They're still proclaiming Christ. And because of that, I rejoice. Now for us, we're like, man, that sounds ridiculous. Because they're, they're getting some things wrong. Can I let you in on a secret? We all are going to get some things wrong. We all have been saved by the gospel of God's grace. And we all walk in a flawed manner, limping, crawling, begging for forgiveness every day is the way that we're supposed to approach this. And so Paul put himself in that position. I think of it like this. How many of you have kids? 
How many of you have grandkids? Come on, you know it. How many of you when have, have you get to a point sometimes in your day when you're with the kids or grandkids and they've asked for a hundred things? Mom, 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 like over and over again. And they ask for one more thing and you just give it to them so they go away? That's selfish ambition. <laughs> Leave me alone. That's not the way that we handle this. So I'm, I, I just like to give you a real life example sometimes so you understand what we're dealing with. Would you please just leave me alone? That's not why Paul says that we do it. He addresses it even further as he continues his letter in Philippians chapter 2. I'm just following up what I just said. He says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So when your kids are driving you nuts, count it a privilege. Michael, you're an idiot. We're supposed to be according to the gospel. We have to be because it's, it, look, the world's going to tell us that we're crazy for even believing what we believe. We are crazy, but I know what my why is. I know why I'm going to approach these difficult situations. I know why I'm not going to walk away until the other person says, I'm not dealing with you anymore. I'm going to let them be the ones that walk away. I'm going to continue to do what I know because I know what my why is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is my why. And when he's talking to Timothy, he says the same thing. He says, the, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So our motives have to come from a pure place, which you and I both know there's nothing pure about you and I. I know it's getting warm in here. We're heating up because the word's going forth and the devil's making it hotter. We're going to be all right, though. But we know where a pure heart and a good conscience come from. How? It comes from sincere faith. Where have we put it? We've put it in Jesus. We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And if that's where we are, then we can now trust a good conscience and pure heart, not because of what's in us, but because of what he's done in us. Right? So my why is still not about me. It's not my pure heart because my pure heart's not pure. The only reason my heart could be pure, there's a pastor who's actually a cousin of ours or mine, I think somewhere along the line. I worked with him for a couple of years in ministry and he would preach. He's one of those like gets real fired up, turns red and sweats all the time, even in the winter. Love him to death. But he would get fired up and he'd start pulling them pants up real fast. And he's like, only Jesus can take a black heart, dip it in red blood and it come out white as snow. He's right though. He's right though. But I'd love it when he get fired up. And talk about that. But we have to make sure that we know what our why is. And then we, when we understand what our why is, Justin, I'm skipping just a little bit. When we know what our why is, then we can know where what we do comes from. We know, we know our where. So we know why. The gospel is why. Where does it come from? I can give you the simple answer. It comes through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing that's going to flow out of my humanity that is going to be positive. It can appear that way, but it's not going to be for the edification of someone's soul. It might be for whatever reason. I've, I've, I get looked at funny. I've had conversation about this because there's a lot of like good things that people do. Like we, we as a church, we partner with organizations specifically talking about human trafficking, which is a major issue that we face in our society today. And we do it not just because we want to set people free from that. That's horrible and they need to be set free from that. But if that's all we set them free from and just leave them in this world, then we've forgotten the most important thing. So you've got all these different organizations that do a lot of things. And somebody asked me, there's a celebrity that like 
puts all this money towards getting people out of human traffic. I'm like, that's great, but they're leaving out the gospel. Well, that doesn't matter. Yes, it does. If I set them free from their physical, mental, and emotional bondage and leave them in their spiritual bondage, what good did it do? If I leave the Holy Spirit out and I leave Jesus out of the equation, it's not valuable. Church, that's how we're supposed to feel about this kind of stuff. Where our motives can fail us is because we don't go back to our why and we forget where the why came from. That makes sense? You smelling what I'm stepping in this morning? We okay? All right. We know that when we're dealing with difficulties in relationships, we are going to forget where the influence comes from. And we're going to let, as some of you have said before, I won't name any names. I'm going to lose my Jesus on this person. I've heard some people say that before. Or I've heard it said another way. I'm fixing to go ghetto on them. <laughs> now you're laughing. You know what I'm talking about. I've, I've heard both of those statements when we're dealing with difficult people. You know why? It's not because we forgot our why, but we forget where that why came from. How did I arrive at this place where I can be of influence in somebody else's life. And then when it gets even harder, I forget it. I forget it. And Proverbs warns us about this. The most wise of wisdom literature that there ever could be. Multiple places I'm going to point out too. Because when we talk about where we talk about where and we talk about our dealing with difficult people, it's informed by our character. And our character has to be informed by something. Where does that come from? If it comes from how the world deals with stuff, then we're going to get it from there and we're not going to deal with it according to the way God has prescribed for us to deal with it. And so the warnings come in, especially in Proverbs. It says, whoever walks in integrity, from Proverbs chapter 10, walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. And he's speaking specifically about the, the way of Jesus, the way of God, God's way, walking in integrity. Or we can walk the crooked path that's going to ultimately, as you continue to read, not just Proverbs, but elsewhere, it leads to destruction. Jesus talked about it in this way. There's a narrow way and there's a wide way. The wide way ends up being crooked. It seems like it's the easier way. But in the end, spiritually, it ends up not only hurting someone else, but it destroys us also. It's why we go back and we remember the message that we went through last week, talking about our forgiveness in Christ being linked to our forgiveness for other people. If we're walking around enslaved because someone hurt us, then we're not truly set free the way that we think we are. Because we constantly replay and rehearse that. And it's a crooked way. It's not the right way. It's not the way of integrity. It's not where our hope comes from. So we have to be people that know our where. Where does that come from? We came from the Holy Spirit. And we don't need to forget it. The, the, the writer of Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 27, as in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects man. Where does it come from? Is it pure? Is our motives checked? Has it been dipped in the blood of Jesus? Are we empowered by the Holy Spirit? Are we, are we going about this the way God intends for us to go about this? So, it leads me to the last thing. 
How do we protect our character and inform our motives? We know our why. We know where that comes from. Then we've got to go to and make it just a little bit more personal because why and where are not personal statements, right? But we need to know who. We need to know our who. Am I doing this for them or am I doing this for me or am I doing this for the sake of Christ? And church, we can, we can make it sound really pretty and we can say, oh, I know I'm doing it for the sake of Christ and then do it the world's way every time. And we're not really doing it for the sake of Christ. We're engaging in these things for our personal benefit or to make it easier on us or to try to fix something in them. And it's not about any of those things. I can't fix anybody. But the spirit that comes from me can absolutely fix everybody. It's not me that does it. I'll mess it up 100%. I worry about it every Sunday. Lord, did your word go forth or did my opinion go forth? And I pray that every Sunday, God, even if my opinion went forth, let your word outweigh it. My opinion matters not. You can't inform your motives or develop your character without the Spirit of God. And I can prove it because Paul addressed this also in Galatians chapter 5. He said that if we're going to know, our, know who, this is what's produced. The fruit of the Spirit. Like it's a simple verse that we all know. Those fruits are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Why did he say against such things there is no law? Because it comes straight from the heart of God by his spirit to the heart of humanity. And if we are empowered by the spirit, we know who we're doing this for. We can trust this because this is what flows out. Love flows, joy flows, peace flows, patience flows, kindness flows, goodness flows, gentleness flows, faithfulness, self-control. It all flows from a place of the Spirit. Us, when we try to produce these on our own, guess what happens? Frustration flows, aggravation flows, impatient flows. All that stuff flows out of us. I'm the most impatient human being. I teach you wrong about this all the time because I've, you've heard people say, if you want patience, ask God for patience. I told you, don't ask God for that. If you ask God for patience, he's going to give you a reason to be patient. Bad preacher right there, but it's true. So we need to know our why. We need to know where, and we need to know who. These are not, hear me on this, this right here, these are not optional traits that we work on. I've heard that talk before too. We need to work on loving people better. We need to work on our joy. You can't work on these things. It says that these are fruits of the Spirit. So the Spirit is the vine, and this is just the fruit that's produced from that vine. You can't make it. I can't make it. And then when we ask ourselves the question, why do I feel so frustrated? Why am I impatient? Because we're not focused on the who. We're still focused on the frustration. We're still focused on the individual. We're still focused on our selfish ambitions. We're still focused on everything else but the fruit that God can produce through His Spirit in you and me. And it's easy, but it's not. 
I know that doesn't sound like it makes sense because the word is actually surrendered submission, something that is so countercultural to what we believe. I'm not surrendering to nobody. I'm not submitting to nothing. I am independent. I am this. I am that. Our, the very fabric of our country is built on independence. We have a right to what? Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, right? Can I ask you a question, church? What happens when your life, your liberty, and your happiness trumps mine? You know why it doesn't work without the Spirit of God? Because none of this is present. Because if my life, my liberty, and my happiness are the most important thing, guess what? That's called selfishness. Sorry. It's not a biblical concept. It's got to be wrapped in Scripture before it can be a biblical concept. Your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, you can't produce it. We have to have God in order for that to be produced. You know how it would work if life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness were, were done right? It's under the lordship of Christ. And you know how we get there? Submission. And then we start making the argument, well, that doesn't make sense. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. How can I do that if I submit to somebody? Because it's found right there. It's found in him and him alone. And until we as the church can show people that, the world's not going to care. They're not going to care. We need to remember our why. We need to remember where it comes from. And we need to remember who we are doing this for. These are ingrained in our spiritual DNA. And then James addresses it like this. And this is where I want to close today. James addresses this. He says, The wisdom that is from above is first pure. Now pay attention to what he says. He's repeating the fruits of the Spirit, basically. But he's saying it his way. He says, it's first pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruit, without partiality, without hypocrisy. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You know, Jesus said something similar. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. So, can we make peace arguing with people? But we sure like to argue, don't we? All the time. You know why? Because I know I'm right. I've never lost an argument, even if I walk away and have lost an argument, because I know I was right. And you do the same thing, don't you? But in order for us to be able to show Christ in relationships, these are not the easy relationships because I can do this with a spouse that I'm committed to. Brandy and I have been married 17 years. Do you think we get along all the time? No. Do you think we disagree all the time? Absolutely. But do you know if it was just like just a sustainable thing between her and I and there was no God involved in that, it's why the divorce rate is 50 plus percent even inside the church because that's just between us. No, it's not. It's between us and him. He's still the head of our household. And so I personally go and argue with God and then God spanks me and says, son, you're going to do this the right way. I walk around all the time doing that. You know why? Because the wisdom that is from above, it's intended to purify me. It's intended to make me a peacemaker. It's intended to make me more gentle. I'm willing to yield, but I can't yield. I was right. Right. 